count down to the midterms. Shame on Joe Biden, shame on his entire administration that said inflation uh, wasn't a big issue or it's not here to stay. With just over two weeks to go until Election Day, Republicans lean into voter fears about inflation. Today I'm announcing three critical steps that my administration will take to reduce gas prices at the pump. President Biden releases millions of barrels of oil from the nation's reserves. And the polls have been all over the place. I think uh, that we're going to see one more shift back to our side in the closing days. And hits the campaign trail. Plus, how long will you watch people being gunned down and do nothing? Midterm candidates clash over guns. I'm 100% pro-life. Because I, not because I want to deny anyone their rights, but because I believe that innocent human life is worthy of the protection of our laws. Abortion. Our guy thought it would be a good idea to raise money for those people who stormed the Capitol. It's outrageous. And the future of democracy, next. This is Washington Week. Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. Midterm election day is just 18 days away, and early voting is already underway in some states. Republicans are feeling confident about their chances of winning control of the House and the Senate, while Democrats have been holding out hope they can hold on to power. But gas prices and inflation are on the rise again, putting the economy back at the top of voter concerns. And according to the latest New York Times-Siena College poll, the share of likely voters who said economic concerns were the most important issues facing America has increased from 36% in July to 44%, far higher than any other issue. The poll also showed that 49% of likely voters said they plan to vote for a Republican for Congress. That's 4% more than the 45% who say they plan to vote Democrat. And Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, is running for re-election against Democrat Stacey Abrams. He was quick to pounce on the shift in voter sentiment. Georgians should know that my desire is to continue to help them fight through 40-year high inflation and high gas prices and other things that our Georgia families are facing right now, quite honestly, because of bad policies in Washington, D.C., from President Biden and the Democrats that have complete control. Now, this week, President Biden announced he'll release 15 million barrels of oil from the country's strategic reserve as a way to deal with rising gas prices. But Biden also said he will prioritize passing abortion rights legislation if his party can hold on to power. If you care about the right to choose, then you got to vote. That's why in these midterm elections are so critical to elect more Democratic senators to the United States Senate and more Democrats to keep control of the House of Representatives. Folks, if we do that, the first bill that I will send to the Congress will be to codify Roe v. Wade. Joining me now to discuss this and more, Rick Klein, political director for ABC News. He can also be seen in the Hulu series Power Trip. It offers a behind-the-scenes look at the network's team on the campaign trail covering the midterms. And joining me here in studio, Laura Barone-Lopez, White House correspondent for PBS NewsHour. Abba Badarai, she's economics correspondent for The Washington Post. And Nicole Killian, congressional correspondent at CBS News. So thank you all for being here. Abba, we got to start with you because you're covering the economy. What's your reporting say about whether or not there could be a recession, how bad the state of the economy is, or maybe this is being overblown? 
That's a great question. And by many measures, the economy is in great shape right now. The job market is still very strong. Unemployment is at historic lows. People are getting raises. Um, people are continuing to spend. Businesses are continuing to hire. But the dark cloud over all of this is inflation. And that's really weighing on consumer sentiment. It's weighing on businesses. And that's sort of what's driving all of this doom and gloom that we're seeing here in Washington and around the country. People now for over a year have been seeing higher prices at the grocery store, at the gas pump. They're depleting their savings that they piled up during the pandemic. They're racking up more credit card debt. And they're feeling this sort of sense that the bottom is slipping out. They're not sure when things are going to get better. And you're an economics reporter using words like dark cloud and doom and gloom. So now I have to ask you, President Biden, he's taking all of these steps. How much of an impact can they really have? How much of an impact can the White House really have on all of this? That's a great point. The White House can do bits and pieces here and there, but this is really in the hands of the Federal Reserve, which is charged with raising interest rates enough to slow the economy and bring down inflation. And the hope is that it can do that without tipping the country into recession. Um, it's unclear whether that can happen. And more and more economists are predicting a recession in the next year. And Laura, you're, of course, at the White House. Um, Politico, our friends at Playbook, they wrote this headline, it's the gas price is stupid. It's also been widely reported that White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, every morning he checks the gas prices before he goes to work. Tell me a little bit about what you're hearing about how concerned the White House is about these inflation concerns, especially as they try to walk and chew gum, as President Biden said, as they're talking about abortion while also trying to deal with inflation. Well, it's something that the White House has long been concerned about. They have long thought that the economy was is always going to be the ultimate top concern for voters heading into the midterms, even after the Dobbs decision was handed down. And so that's why a lot of people were asking, why isn't the president out there more talking about abortion rights across the country? And part of that was because the White House and all the people in the White House that I've spoken to said that ultimately he wants to try to sell his economic vision, even though a lot of the things that Democrats have passed to date, while it's stuff that they have tried to achieve for a very long time, like prescription drug reform, and that ultimately can help people's pocketbooks, it's not going to take effect for probably another year or so. And so it's really difficult for the White House to sell that right now when people aren't necessarily feeling it right away. Uh, and right now they're, they're they're looking at gas prices. Now, to your point about White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, he is constantly tweeting when he can say that uh, gas prices are still low. And that was the argument from the White House this week, which was that Look, he, the president is taking this action on the Strategic Petroleum Reserve because we're trying to have this bridge carried over the winter to make sure that gas prices stay low as long as possible. And, Nicole, you know, Laura's talking about people might not feel some of these things for a year out. We're 18 days out from when the Democrats really want them to feel something. What, what are you hearing out on the campaign trial? I know you've been in Georgia and other places. Tell us a little bit about what you're hearing from voters. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been in Georgia. I've been in Wisconsin. And, and I think the sentiment is true that, you know, many people are extremely concerned about the economy. You know, when you ask them what's most important to them, that's the first thing they mention are the high gas prices, high grocery prices, high energy prices. Uh, that it's difficult at times to, to make ends meet. Abortion rights 
still rises to the top for a lot of female voters uh, that I have talked to over the last couple of weeks on the trail. But uh, by and large, the economy still kind of rises to the top. And just to talk about the point with respect to the White House, uh, you know, I had a chance to speak with DNC senior advisor Cedric Richmond this week, and he said what the president is doing is kind of intentional in terms of straying away from these campaign rallies and really talking more about the policy and trying to sell what he has done. In fact, we heard the president even reference that in his remarks earlier today. So it, it is something where I think the administration feels proud of what they've accomplished and is trying to sell that messaging to people, even in spite of that potential disconnect. But I was told that we will see the president on the trail a little bit more in these final weeks. Well, that'll be interesting and definitely cover. The other thing that was happening is a lot of debates, right? This election season has been notable for the limited number of debates. But this week, a number of candidates in key races, well, they faced off. No, Senator, I don't think it's okay for a 10-year-old girl to be raped and have to carry the seed of her rapist. No, I don't think it's okay for you to make decisions for women and girls. She supports taxpayer-funded abortion on demand for any reason at any time up until the moment of birth. That's what she supports. That's the extreme position here. We need a governor who believes in access to the right to vote right. and not in voter suppression, which is the hallmark of Brian Kemp's leadership. Thank you. I'm the person that created the online voter registration system in this state where any Georgian can vote, register to vote 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Quite quite the back and forth there. Um, Nicole, I want to come to you again because you were out and you covered the Herschel Walker debate. Why have there been so few debates and what's the impact of the ones that have, have happened? Well, I think that is a hallmark of what we've seen this cycle. I mean, just even trying to get these candidates to the table has proven quite difficult. I mean, in the case of Georgia, you know, it did take a while. There was a lot of back and forth between the Warnock campaign, the Walker campaign. Obviously, they did that debate last Friday. Their one and only debate. There was a second debate after that, uh, Herschel Walker declined to appear at that. But even if you look at some of these other races across the country, I mean, in, in most instances, we are only seeing these candidates debate once. Same thing in Florida, you know, between uh, Demings and, and Rubio. That was their only debate. So it really is kind of depriving voters of the opportunity to see these candidates on multiple occasions. And, you know, in terms of Georgia and talking to voters, there were some voters who said, yeah, I watched and I think that's enough. But there were also plenty of voters out there who said, no, I actually would like to see more. And for instance, that debate, they didn't even get into the issue of immigration, for instance. So, I mean, there are reasons and protocol for why you have multiple debates. But, you know, even in the case of Arizona, we're seeing there the gubernatorial candidates, they aren't facing off at all. So, you know, what does that say going forward about uh, how things are conducted? And that's why I like you, Nicole, because you literally transitioned me to Rick, because Rick is sitting there in Arizona. You've been talking to both candidates who are running for governor. Katie Hobbs is not wanting to debate um, Carrie Lake here. Tell me a little bit about that race and what it tells you about the overall landscape of the midterms right now. Yeah, and this is a little bit different than, than some of the other debates over debates, because in this case, you've got the Democrat who says that, that she's not willing to talk to the Republican face to face. And the reason that she says that, that Katie Hobbs says that, is that she sees that Carrie Lake is someone that denies the legitimacy of the last election and traffics in conspiracy theories. And in her view, she doesn't want to elevate that by even having the conversation. But boy, is that risky uh, for two reasons. One is Carrie Lake is quite good on television. She's a longtime TV anchor right here in Phoenix. Uh, she's very well known in the 
Phoenix media market, and she's very good on camera. She does multiple uh, news conferences, interviews all the time. She talks to people uh, at every opportunity she has. Katie Hobbs is the Secretary of State here. Uh, she's not quite the same kind of uh, political performer. And the other thing that's dangerous in, in, in all of this and that uh, is that you have an opportunity, a possibility, that someone that denies the legitimacy of the last election could be in charge of overseeing the next one. It's not just Carrie Lake. You've got Secretary of State candidate, an Attorney General candidate, uh, as well statewide candidates, uh, congressional candidates, up and down the ballot here in Arizona and, uh, frankly, in battleground states all around the country who bring views that say that, look, this, this election was, was somehow fixed or stolen. Uh, they have false, they're promoting false information about that, and they're casting doubt on whether they would potentially concede in 2022 or certify results in 2024. That's uh, an area that the stakes get even higher around the midterm elections. It's not something you hear uh, a lot from voters. It's not something that voters are listing as a top-of-mind issue. It's not something that they're talking about when you, when you go discuss it with them. But it is a real consequence, potentially, of these elections to have people who say that the last election was somehow stolen uh, being in a position to oversee future elections. And, and Rick, while you're while we have you and, and talking about sort of the, what's going on in Arizona, I also want to ask you about the other races. I know um, the power trip is, is going around the country. Tell me about what you're seeing in other states. I'm thinking of Ohio, of Florida, of Pennsylvania. What sort of connects these these races together and talks, tells us the story of this midterm season? Yeah, thanks, Yamisha. It's really interesting to go out there and talk to voters and talk to the candidates because we see all sorts of, of different types of candidates. A lot of them are people that have been uh, recruited by Donald Trump. Uh, candidates like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania and Herschel Walker in Georgia, Blake Masters right here in Arizona, J.D. Vance in Ohio. No, none of them had ever run for office before. Uh, none of them probably ever run for office if Donald Trump wasn't president, if Donald Trump didn't consider them to be friends and people that he urged on. Uh, and that has created a kind of a new class of politicians. Mitch McConnell has talked about candidate quality. Those are the kinds of people uh, that you're talking about. And I've seen also that with our reporters on the ground some really interesting twists on what it means to be a Democrat these days. To look at someone like John Fetterman or Tim Ryan, frankly, they don't look like a lot of Democrats do. They've been going to a lot of redder parts of their states. They're trying to, to, to bring a kind of working class appeal uh, to, to states that are either on the purple side or a little bit, in the case of Ohio, more Republican-leaning. And they're trying to, to, to use performances on the on the trail, trying to connect with people by traveling around in a, in a different way. It still matters these days, even in the age of tens of millions of dollars being dumped into these campaigns to make those personal connections. And yeah, a lot of the, the you know, our, our campaign reporters, our embeds, they're talking to voters that, that say that the economy is front and center. And, and I think the, the Democrats have a couple of issues here. One is that some of the issues that, that voters may be on their side on, like election integrity, uh, like abortion rights, just aren't top of mind. There's something that, uh, that aren't thought about every day. You don't tend to go about your everyday life thinking about, well, is the next election going to be stolen or not? You do think about gas prices because every time you drive by a gas station, there's a visible representation of what's going on. You do think about inflation because every time you buy lunch or buy groceries, you see those prices. That's what people feel. And, and I'm intrigued by some Democrats that have been breaking with the White House and saying, look, you should be more aggressive. Uh, we've, heard, we've heard Mark Kelly say that the White House has made mistakes on the border. We've heard people like Tim Ryan uh, say that there's been mistakes in not confronting inflation uh, as a more uh, existential or bigger threat for American families. So I feel like it's sometimes when you go against your party that you have either an opportunity to, 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 to break through a bit and maybe, maybe just cut against the national narrative that we see developing over the next, these last couple of weeks. And Abba, what, what Rick is talking about really cuts straight to your beat about the economy. I wonder what 
you're hearing from voters, especially as we've seen Democrats try to do this thing where they're both balancing, talking about inflation while also talking about abortion. What are you hearing from voters? I spent the week talking with voters around the country, and I was really struck by how many long-term, long-time Democratic voters said that they were suddenly sort of having to make these decisions that they never thought they'd be making. They're wondering if they should prioritize the economy or abortion rights, gun control, these issues that are all very important to them, but they feel like they have less and less of a choice when they're struggling to pay for groceries and pay for electricity and all these other essentials that have been going up in price. Um, as one woman in Nashville told me yesterday, we can no longer afford to prioritize our principles over inflation. And so they're really rethinking sort of their entire belief system in some cases. It's fascinating to hear. And Laura, talk a little bit more about the White House's approach to this. I was really struck by a question that President Biden got. It said, top domestic issue, inflation or abortion. And he basically said, we should be able to walk and chew gum talking about Democrats and his party. What are you hearing from White House officials? I mean, uh, this question was also posed earlier this week to his staff, to, to White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. And she essentially said that the top economic issue is inflation, uh, distinguish, making that distinction economic, not necessarily entirely domestic. I mean, look, we're seeing the final argument from Biden happening this week, which is uh, we had the speech from him on abortion rights, saying if you elect two to three more Democrats to the Senate, then his first bill to Congress would be to solidify, to codify Roe, Roe v. Wade. And he clearly is going to continue making that argument in the next two weeks. Uh, part of that, though, is also going to be the argument that he... Um, that his agenda is trying to keep this economy balanced, trying to make sure that it doesn't fall into a full-scale recession. And the argument from the White House is essentially that, look, the economy does have a lot of, um, of factors that in terms of unemployment, like being low, the fact that jobs, there's a lot of options for jobs, that's what they're trying to focus on uh, as well. I think the other thing is today, the president was focused on student debt. Yeah. And so he again is trying to make this uh, argument to very key constituencies across the Democratic base, including young voters. I've talked to Democratic strategists who say that, look, if, if the youth voter turnout doesn't reach 2018 levels, then, yeah, we we don't really have a chance of, of holding the Senate, um, and definitely not the House. Yeah. So these key constituencies also with black voters, if they don't reach a certain threshold in places like Georgia or, um, or uh, Pennsylvania, then, then again, Democrats don't really have a chance of holding the Senate, and definitely not the House. And the other thing, when you think about sort of what drives voter attention, vo drives voter feelings, Nicole, is this idea of sort of how scared are they, right? You think about sort of the way that these, these messages are being given to them um, by Democrats and Republicans. Part of that, of course, is Trump. It's, it's former President Trump, grievous politics. We had some news just this, just today, Steve Bannon, a longtime Trump um, advisor, he was sentenced to four months in prison for defying the January 6th committee's subpoena to, to come testify. We also saw the official subpoena go out to former President Trump to say, you need to come to the committee. What, what, what's your sense of how all these developments surrounding Trump and the Trump orbit how they impact the voters' minds in these midterms. You know, it may make a ripple. I don't know that it'll make a wave. Um, and that's just because it's kind of baked in at this point into the larger discussion we've been having. Again, it's the economy, stupid, right? I mean, that is really what people are caring about day to day. So how concerned are they going to be about a subpoena to the former president? I'm not sure. What I did find interesting about the subpoena uh, that went out from the January 6th committee is that the committee has been very clear to uh, say that they are not going to 
do anything around the midterms. I mean, we saw them hold the hearing last week. Uh, you know, in terms of their report, they say that that's not going to be tied to the midterms in any way. And yet the subpoena drops where they want the former president to produce documents a few days before Election Day, and then they want him to show up for this deposition a few days after Election Day. Obviously, they're under a time crunch. They're trying to get their work done by the end of the year. But I just think the timing around all of that is interesting. And whether or not the former president cooperates at all remains to be seen. We know he has bashed this committee as the unselect committee, his attorney today already uh, accusing this committee of, uh, you know, flouting the norms. So uh, will we see any compliance here? Obviously, the committee would hope so. But again, unlikely, it seems. And I'm a, before I want to turn to the, some stuff that's going on in Florida, I wonder if you could just chime in here when it comes to conservatives. They've made the case that Republicans are just better at dealing with the economy. Are you hearing that from voters? Absolutely. I think a lot of voters are feeling dismayed that they don't think Democrats have really been on top of their game when it comes to inflation. For a long time, the messaging was, oh, this is just temporary. This is because of supply chain issues. It'll go away. And when it didn't happen, um, it was, well, this is Putin's fault. And so it's taken a while for voters to feel like Democrats are listening to them. And the other thing that Republicans have going for them is that this isn't their economy. I mean, we're likely to have seen extremely high inflation and high gas prices, even with a Republican president in power. But right now, this is Joe Biden's pr problem, and they're able to capitalize on that. Yeah, the party in power is the one that's being held accountable. Now, we have to turn to what's going on in my home state of Florida. In April, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill to create an election police force dedicated to pursuing voter fraud. This week, the Tampa Bay Times released videos of people being arrested by the unit that have drawn fierce criticism. Yeah, I, I guess you have a warrant? For what? I'm not it's sure. for voter stuff, man. For voter. So Florida officials say the people arrested are felons who voted illegally. Advocates say in many cases, Florida issued these people voting materials then allowed them to cast ballots. So, Rick, I want to come back to you. What are the actions of the Florida election force? Tell us about the overall GOP approach to elections right now. What are we what, connect what we're seeing in Florida and with these videos to what's happening politically? I think it is a significant development. And just today we saw the, uh, a, a judge in Florida throw out one of the 20 cases that, uh, that Governor DeSantis was highlighting as part of the saying that, uh, that the, the prosecutors that were trying to bring this case didn't have the, the jurisdiction. And we've been reporting on this pretty extensively and talked to some of the, the, the lawyers involved. Uh, and, and clearly what happened here is that uh, Governor DeSantis was trying to make a major point. He was trying to, 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 to signal to Republican voters uh, the importance, the priority that he was putting on election security. It's something that's been echoed across Republican campaigns, and it's something that moves things forward. Instead of looking back at, at, uh, at 2020, uh, the signal that's sent out there is, is clearly one that's intended to, uh, to, to discourage someone who might have any question in their mind as to whether their vote is allowed to be cast or not from doing so at all. Uh, and you can view that as a, as a good thing. You can also re recognize that in this case, you had individuals who were told by state authorities that they had the right to vote. There was confusion around the types of felonies that they committed and whether they'd be uh, able to uh, reestablish their franchise uh, under a new law. There are other states that have similar laws and, and similar regulations. And, and at the time, it felt like Governor DeSantis was trying to one-up some of his other Republican uh, colleagues, maybe in the 2024 uh, contention. Uh, but as a case like this falls apart, you recognize the real toll that it takes on people, the individuals who are arrested, and also uh, the, the, the countless number of people that, that might have the right to vote but might be questioning whether they should even try to do that because they see an action like this, that the body 
camp footage was quite striking because you had police officers who were unable to explain what exactly those charges were. You had people who were just befuddled by the fact that they were being arrested for something that they were told by state officials they had the right to do. So to me, this is a, a, another manifestation of the mistrust that's been um, been placed in, in the round elections. Uh, we know election workers are undergoing un unprecedented threats. Uh, in addition to people that, that are running for office saying that they won't necessarily trust election results, you have this widespread mistrust uh, as people are about to vote and are already voting in, in record numbers uh, in, in early vote uh, around whether you can even cast that ballot. It's and a lot I of feel confusion like when a, you look at the people that are really confused by this as, and as confused these cases by what's going on. I'm very curious to see whether, frankly, any of them stick. And, and Laura, I want to come to you because in the, in the last 30 seconds that we have here, you interviewed a veteran Democratic pollster who told you this could motivate black voters in particular to come out. That's right, Cornell Belcher, who worked on President Obama's former campaign, and he said that uh, that he thinks it could backfire because he thinks that when people watch those videos, particularly black voters, that it could motivate them to turn out in states not just like Florida, but also Georgia, and that he knows that some Democratic campaigns are going to start using that footage in ads uh, in the final weeks heading into the election. Well, certainly uh, watching that video is very confusing. You could tell that the cops were, were confused. One cop saying, you know, you, there might be even a loophole here if they were if you were given voting material. So we'll definitely have to keep watching what's going on there. Thanks so much to our panelists for joining us and for sharing your reporting. You can see more of Rick, which we would love to see on, baby, on ABC News' docuseries about the midterms power trip. There will be a new episode Sunday on Hulu. And before we go, tune in Saturday to PBS News Weekend for a look at how children's mental health is being treated following recent recommendations that kids over the age of eight be screened for anxiety disorder. Thank you for joining us. Good night from Washington.